So touch our hearts. I know it's been a long day for a lot of us. Help us be attentive and our ears open and our hearts soft to hear from you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so we're in this section of Isaiah that began in chapter 13. We'll continue through chapter 23. That Isaiah is giving these proclamation against the nations. These nations that surround uh, Jerusalem and Judah and Israel. And some of those proclamations include Judah and Jerusalem as we're going to see. And Isaiah here on this scene, he uh, has already made the proclamations against Babylon and against Moab and against Philistia. And this is going to continue. We saw last week the proclamation against Syria, that very interesting uh, prophecy in verse 1 of chapter 17, that behold, Damascus will cease from being a city, it will be a ruinous heap. And we know that as here is Isaiah, as he has these visions and he's proclaiming the word of the Lord that some of these prophecies, many of them were fulfilled. But we also know that in the midst of these prophecies that we have that, um, that Isaiah will also give uh, future fulfillments as all of a sudden the, the subject will change. And, and we see that he looks down through the ages for those prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. For example, in chapter 17, verse 1, we know that Damascus has been a continuous city. They, they would claim that. We know that uh, that prophecy hasn't been fulfilled, and yet there is a future time that Damascus is going to be a ruinous heap. Matter of fact, uh, that we've had some people here in the fellowship back in the 70s that went to Damascus, and if you ever went there at that time, and you got... Uh, uh, some uh, information from their, de you know, Department of t Tourism and stuff that they will claim to be the oldest continuous city in the world. You see, Jerusalem has been uh, a city 3,000 years old that has been destroyed and rebuilt, but Damascus did not go through that. Damascus was not destroyed when Tiglath-Pileser came in, the Assyrians, in 722 B.C. or 732 B.C. and took over Syria and killed the king of Syria. The, the city was damaged, but it wasn't a ruinous heap. So as we go through these prophecies, we really want to put our thinking caps on. And Isaiah here, given these proclamations against these nations, as we're going to start out tonight in chapter 18 with Ethiopia, and then chapter 19, Egypt. And in that, we will see that there's future fulfillment even to be fulfilled as we sort through this. So let's begin to look at chapter 18, verse 1. Woe to the land shadowed with buzzing wings, which is beyond the river of Ethiopia, which sends ambassadors by the sea, even in vessels of reed on the water, saying, Go swift messengers to a nation tall and smooth of skin, to a people terrible from their beginning onward, a nation powerful and treading down, whose land the rivers divide. And so this proclamation against Ethiopia, they were a major power at this time that Isaiah is pinning these words that uh, so powerful were they at this time, they really kind of rivaled the Assyrians, and they ruled Egypt at this time and would continue to rule Egypt till about 630. 
3 BC. And Ethiopia would send ambassadors to invite Judah to rebel against Assyria and align with Ethiopia and to align with Egypt. And one of the things and lessons that we have learned and seen looking at this historically, that there's implication and application for us uh, as a nation, but even for us as well as God's people, because here it was Judah, that they were looking to align themselves with uh, the Syrians, and then they would look to align themselves with Egypt, and then they looked to align themselves with the Ethiopians looking for help. And the Lord's message was this, that they are not going to help you. They are going to come to their own doom and they're going to be judged themselves. And you need to trust in me and you need to look to me. And that is a message that we see all throughout the book of Isaiah. Matter of fact, when we get to chapter 30 of Isaiah, that the Lord says, woe to the rebellious children of Israel, for you seek counsel, but not of me. And they were going to Egypt at that time, and they were asking Egypt to help them as the Assyrians are flexing their muscles. Remember that they are expanding. They're very powerful. They're the powerhouse uh, of the world right now. And even as Isaiah chapter 8 declared that they would overflow like the mighty rivers there of Assyria that overflow and the water coming into Israel, into Judah, and, and taking over those nations. That's what the Assyrian army was doing, coming in and taking uh, Syria captive and, and destroying uh, the, um, you, you know, the king, destroying the king of Syria. And we know that uh, they would continue from 732 B.C. to 722 B.C. The east side of the Jordan River, the tribe of Gad, the tribe of Reuben, half of the tribe of Manasseh taken off into captivity during that time that Syria was taken over. And then 10 years later, the rest of the house of Israel taken into captivity. Uh, the Assyrians were brutal. brutal. They were very mean. They put fish hooks into your mouths and they drug you off. And as uh, the Assyrians were continuing on their march and move, they would go there on the east side of the Jordan to the Ammonites and that area of uh, also as Moab. We saw the proclamation against Moab and then even further south into Edom. And then on the west side as they would go into Philistia and then they would come to Jerusalem as we're going to see what happened when the Assyrians surrounded Jerusalem in a little bit later in our study of Isaiah. But here, the Ethiopians, they're hoping that Egypt will align with them. Judah will align with them. And maybe we can stop the Assyrians. And what the Lord is saying to Judah is, come back to me and and trust in me and know that these nations are doomed. Now, here's the interesting thing. We see Ethiopia mentioned throughout the history of the children of Israel after they came into the promised land. We know that during the reign of Solomon, that as he built the first kingdom and when uh, Judah uh, and Israel was united, uh, they were at the height of their power and prosperity. And, and uh, they, uh, Solomon, uh, of course, uh, in his wisdom, building the first temple, it was magnificent. And the queen of Sheba came to visit, as you know, uh, Solomon, and it is believed that perhaps she was from Ethiopia. There is a debate whether she was actually from Ethiopia or from the Far East, and there's evidence to suggest that maybe perhaps from the Far East. But at that time, uh, Israel 
in Ethiopia were at peace. But it would be just a little bit later on, uh, 200 years before Isaiah's writing this, that you might recall as you go to Second Chronicles chapters 14, 15, and 16, it tells us of Asa, who was the king of Judah. And when he first was reigning, all of a sudden Ethiopia begins to threaten Asa in Judah, and they have a million-man army that's going to attack Judah. Now, in ancient times, that is a huge army. And, and Asa, this young king, doesn't know what to do, so he cries out to the Lord, and, and the Lord delivers Judah, defeats the million-man army of Ethiopia, and the Lord comes to Asa and says that, Asa, if you trust in me, that you're going to defeat your enemies, but if you turn away from me, then bad things are going to happen, and you're going to see that you're going to be forsaken in your own wisdom. And there was peace in Judah in uh, that time for 35 years until the 36th year of Asa's reign all of a sudden there is the house of Israel the 10 northern tribes and they come down to the border of Judah and they they have this blockade uh, and it was an act of war so Asa what does he do what he did was he sends a message to Syria, which is north of the house of Israel, makes a treaty with uh, the king of Syria at that time. Again, this is 200 years before Isaiah is writing these words and said, will you attack? I'll pay you off. I'll give you tribute. Will you attack the house of Israel? And that's what the king of Syria said. Okay, I'll do that. And he attacked Israel. Well, they had to take all their troops that were down there on the border of of Judah away and to go up and deal with the Syrians and it worked and then Asa sent his guys up there and they tore down the blockade and it was a brilliant plan militarily but here's what happened the prophet comes to Asa and says Asa why didn't you seek the Lord I mean it was it was nothing for the Lord to defeat a million man army and you sought the Lord and you trusted in the Lord and you heard from the Lord. But all of a sudden, you came up with this plan, and it worked. And Asa, you know, was thinking, because he got upset at the prophet that is bringing the words to him, the words of the Lord, saying, Asa, you did foolishly. And he said to Asa that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro, across the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart are loyal to him. And in this you've done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. And what can happen to you and to me is we can look at the situations that we're in. And particularly, we who have journeyed with the Lord for a certain uh, length of time, a number of years. And, and, you know, when we first became a Christian, we were crying out to the Lord in those, those battles that we face. But over time, we start to become maybe a little bit self-reliant. We begin to, to think, I can figure a way out of this, and we're not seeking the Lord. And what happened to Asa after that is it tells us that he got diseased in his feet. He did not seek the Lord, and he ended up dying. Talk about being defeated. But I say that tongue-in-cheek, you know, as we read that story. I'm just seeing if you're paying attention here tonight. But I do say this seriously. 
you want to find a way that you're going to be defeated in your spiritual life, that you start trusting in your own understanding and coming up with your own plans. And you see, I believe that for me, that the Lord oftentimes will allow me to be in a situation where I look at it and I say, I can't figure this out. I can't come up with a plan. Lord, uh, I can't do anything. And it's like the Lord says, that's good, Jeff, because now you have to trust in me. And rather than trusting in yourself. And the Lord desires for us to have a heart that's loyal towards him because he's going to show himself strong on our behalf as we do in every day of our lives, every situation that we face. But also what can happen to us is that there's so many voices that are out there in the world. We know that Egypt, as we go and look at Egypt, is a picture of the world. And there's the world's philosophy and the world's advice and the world's, you know, trends and all that, that pull on us to tell us how to live life. And we need to be faithful to the word of God. We need to look to the word of God as God instructs us in every area of our lives. So this was Ethiopia. All of a sudden it's coming out that, that Judah, you need to trust in and what uh, I'm, you know, desired to do for you, we continue in verse 3, all inhabitants of the world and dwellers of the earth, when he lifts up a banner on the mountains, you see it. And when he blows a, a trumpet, you hear it. For so the Lord said to me, I will take my rest and I will look from my dwelling place like clear heat and sunshine, like a cloud of dew and the heat of harvest. For before the harvest, when the bud is perfect, when the sour grape is ripening in the flower, he will both cut off the springs, uh, sprigs, that is, with pruning hooks, and take away and cut down the branches. Verse 6, they will be left together for the mountains of prey, uh, birds of prey, and for the beasts of the field, the birds of prey will summer on them, and all the beasts of the earth will winter on them. And so the Lord is telling Judah that I'm going to reject the help of the Ethiopians because I'm perfectly able to deal with the Assyrians myself. And he can take his rest uh, without help of the Ethiopians. And, and God will prune the Assyrians, verse 5. And the destruction of the Assyrians will be left for the birds of prey uh, there in verse 6. And, and again, that we know that the Lord is the mighty God. Remember this in Isaiah chapter 9, that he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. He's the Wonderful Counselor for you and for me. And that he is mighty God. He's the creator of, of heaven and earth. And there's nothing too difficult or any situation too hard to where he can't work. And show himself strong on your behalf. As you turn to him and lean not on your own understanding, as Proverbs chapter 3 says. But to look to him and trust in him in all things. And to acknowledge him in all your situations. And he will direct your paths. That is a promise from the word of God. And so we need to look to him, find our trust in him, put our trust in him, but then find our rest in him. And I think that's where a lot of us can struggle. Uh, I, I trust in you, Lord, but I'm not really resting in you. And as we go through the book of Hebrews, we're going to see that the writer of Hebrews talks a lot about rest, how the children of Israel didn't have rest because of their unbelief, because of their disobedience, because of their murmuring and their complaining. And it's important lessons for you and for me. And then in verse 7, at that time of present will be brought 
to the Lord of hosts from a people tall and smooth as skin and from a people terrible from their beginning onward, a nation powerful and treading down whose land the rivers divide to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts to Mount Zion. So the Ethiopians are so thankful to God for for the Assyrians, you know, their destruction, that they're going to bring gifts to God to Jerusalem. Um, some believe that verse 7 is talking about a future fulfillment. What is interesting that as we read this, we know that as we continue to talk about Ethiopia, that Ethiopia, that there's uh, today, there's a strong population of Christians that are in Ethiopia because you recall in Acts chapter 8 that there's Philip, that he's up in Samaria, that there's revival that had broken out. And then the Lord said to Philip, Philip, I want you to go to Gaza. And that is a place where it's desert. There's nobody down in Gaza. But Philip goes, and all of a sudden, there is an Ethiopian eunuch, one of authority, who was their high official in the government that is on his chariot. He, he's reading the scriptures. He's reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, that is speaking of Jesus as one who's the lamb that was led to the slaughter. And, and Philip goes up to him, and the Ethiopian eunuch says, is this, who's this speaking of? And Philip was able to lead him to Jesus, give him the gospel. He was baptized at that time. And so he would go back to Ethiopia, and that's where Christianity began to grow and to blossom. There is also, even today, a strong Jewish community that is there, and many of them, uh, as the result of civil war that took place in 19, 1991, I believe, in the early 90s, that many of them were airlifted to Israel. And you can go to Israel today and you can see the Ethiopian Jews that are there amongst in Jerusalem and, and living in Israel. So here's Ethiopia being spoken of. And we know that Ethiopia that um, is, uh, again, a place where many Christians worship even today. Um, as you continue to do study, uh, one last note that I want to make of Isaiah chapter 18. Those of you who perhaps are, do a little bit more reading uh, that are prophecy buffs, that you will get some information. There are some who try to make Isaiah 18 say that Isaiah 18 is actually speaking of the United States. And uh, again, there's a different form of replacement theology that United States, you know, is spoken of in places where in scripture such as Isaiah chapter 18 and plays a role in the last days. And, and they say, for example, woe to the land shadowed with buzzing wings. Uh, our emblem is the eagle and, you know, that sends ambassadors by the sea that speaks of us and that uh, the land whose rivers divide, uh, the United States, the Mississippi River divides. And, and it's not good when you look at it. And so they will say that we're going to all blow up and everything because in verse four, when the Lord says, I will take my rest, uh, it's speaking of that I will withdraw myself. And then in verse six, casualties, actually in verse four, the clear heat and sunshine speaks of a nuclear blast. So you read all these things and they say it's the United States and people become frightened. 
And you may ask me, do you think it speaks to the United States? I don't. I think it's really going outside the boundaries of what uh, is being said here. And uh, I believe it's speaking of Ethiopia. So uh, I know sometimes I get emails on things like that. And uh, it's a proclamation against Ethiopia. I don't believe that you can put the United States in there. You've you got to tweak and twist the scripture and make it you know, sound like what you want it to. Let's go to chapter 19. This proclamation, the burden against Egypt. Behold, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and will come into Egypt. The idols of Egypt will totter at his presence and the heart of Egypt will melt in its midst. And so Egypt is a great power, of course, of the ancient world. Uh, we know that uh, the children of Israel uh, were enslaved to the Egyptians for 400 years. And, um, and then they were brought out into uh, the uh, wilderness t- uh, going t- to, the, um, to the promised land. Uh, we know that oftentimes it, uh, Egypt was enemies of Israel throughout their history, even in their re- uh, recent history. And, um, and we see here that uh, it was Judah and Israel always trying to make alliances with Egypt and And all of this, as I've already mentioned in verse 2, I will set Egyptian against Egyptians, and everyone will fight against his brother and everyone against his neighbor. City against city, the kingdom against kingdom. The spirit of Egypt will fail in its midst and will destroy their counsel. And they will consult the idols and the charmers, the mediums and the sorcerers. And the Egyptians I will give in the hand of a cruel master and a fierce king will rule over them, says the Lord, the Lord of hosts. And what we see here is, as Isaiah speaks of this civil war, um, not many years after this is written, uh, that the kingdom was divided. Matter of fact, it was divided up into 41 uh, provinces, I guess you would say. It'd be like 41 counties. And each one of those provinces of Egypt had their own idol. That was their God. And they began to fight against one another. They began to war against one another, Egyptian against Egyptian. So this was fulfilled shortly after Isaiah writes this. And then as we continue in uh, verse 5, that the waters will fail from the sea and the river will be wasted and dried up. The rivers will turn foul. The brooks of defense will be emptied and dried up and the reeds and the rushes will wither. The papyrus reeds by the river and by the mouth of the river and everything sown by the river will wither, be driven away and be no more. The fishermen also will mourn and those will lament who cast hooks into the river and they will languish who spread nets on the waters. Moreover, those who work uh, in fine flax and those who weave fine fabric will be ashamed and its foundations will be broken and all who make wages will be troubled of soul. And so we see here that as uh, again Israel's looking to Egypt for wisdom and for counsel and we know that uh, here is Egypt, this proclamation given to them uh, that you're going to have this cruel leader that's going to come against you, uh, Eskar Hayden. As you look at history in 671 B.C., uh, he was the son of Shennacherib. 
that was the king of Assyria that we read about there in Isaiah chapter 37. He comes in, and he was a cruel king against Egypt. And then later on, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And then later on, uh, you have uh, the Persian kings, uh, Medo-Persian kings that would come in. So Egypt would go through a very difficult time. But what is interesting here in verses 5 through 10, you have this this prophecy about the waters will fail from the sea, the rivers wasted, and the reeds and rushes withered away and dried up. It was interesting that uh, you know that Egypt, uh, going through Egypt, is mostly desert, probably 90% desert, but you have the Nile River that runs through Egypt. And along the banks of the Nile River is very fertile, and that's where they have their agriculture. And it's a lifeline to Egypt in agriculturally and growing crops, but also in, in fishing and catching fish. So what happened was in 1960, what is interesting is that the Russians came in and said, we're going to build this, this Aswan Dam. It's, it's one of the biggest dams ever built. And they would take 10 years to build that dam from 1960 to 1970. And then it took 10 years to fill the lake up behind it from 1970 to 1980. And the reason that they did that is the Nile River, a long river, starts really in, um, in, the, uh, in Uganda and makes its way through Uganda, through Sudan. I've seen the Nile River right on the border of Sudan. Uh, well, I've been to the Nile River in Sudan and also in Uganda. And those of you who are in, are in white uh, water rafting, the Nile River is one of the most prized rivers to go rafting in uh, in Uganda because you have those uh, degrees of difficulties from one to five, and number five is the most difficult. In the Nile River there in Uganda, they have number six. And, and there are those who, it's incredible. And, and flying over it, you see the white water and this huge river rushing. Well, it continues through Sudan uh, and hippopotamuses that are there, kind of cool. And, um, and then it goes through uh, Ethiopia and then into Egypt. And again, it is the lifeline of Egypt agriculturally and uh, the fishing and all of that. So the whole idea is was they were going to build, they, they spent you know, tremendous amount of money building this dam to help control the flooding and the flow of water into, you know, um, that area of Egypt. But what ended up happening is it backfired on them. And it became an ecological disaster, really, is what happened, because uh, the, the flooding of the Nile River that would happen would bring the silt in, and that's what kept that area very fertile. And with that not happening now, what happened was is that the reeds began to dry up, and, and um, you know, the, the, the agricultural, um, you know, practices had to tr change tremendously at that time. Things were drying up, and, and um, what happened as well is because there wasn't the rushing of the water. And I was reading an article on this, and I'm giving a very simple explanation for it. The rushing of the water when it flooded, you know, would push certain uh, other things out. And then also, with that no longer being there, what happened, the Mediterranean Sea began to back up. And with that salt water coming in, it killed the fishing, and the fish began to die. And then other things were happening as well. And so what is prophesied here actually happened 
1970 forward, and they, they are talking about getting rid of the dam. They've even talked about blowing it up, but they don't know how to blow up a dam that big. So here, what Isaiah talked about 2,700 years ago really has come to pass exactly what the Lord said. And um, there's, you know, no reeds are drying up. They've had problems. The, the, the fish are dying. The backup of the Mediterranean, they've had to deal with this. It's been one problem after another. And so here is Isaiah speaking about these things. And then in verse 11, Surely the princes of Zoan are fools. Pharaoh's wise counselors give foolish counsel. You might want to underline that. How do you say to Pharaoh, I am the son of the wise, the son of ancient kings? Where are they? Where are your wise men? Let them tell you now and let them know what the Lord of hosts has purposed against Egypt. The princes of Zoan have become fools. The princes of Noph are deceived. They also uh, have also deluded Egypt, those who are in the mainstay uh, of its tribes. In verse 14, the Lord has mingled a perverse spirit in her midst, and they have caused Egypt to err all uh, in all her work as a drunken man staggers in his vomit neither will there be any work for Egypt which the head or tail palm branches or bulrush may do so interesting here that the men of Egypt the counselors of Egypt are not wise woe to the rebellious children of Israel why do you seek counsel but not of me and those fast Arabian horses aren't going to help you. But in returning to me and in rest, that you'll have strength and confidence. And those who wait on the Lord, I'll be gracious to, is what the Lord says. And I will give instruction to you. And I think that this is important for us to understand this because, again, you ladies on Saturday, as you go into Colossians chapter 2, once again it's going to be reiterated to you that in him, in Christ Jesus, is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And if you go after the wisdom, the philosophy of the world, you go after the traditions of men, you go after that which is not of Christ, Paul says you're going to be cheated. And that is true for any one of us. And there are so many voices that are out there in the world today that are so contrary to what the Word of God declares to you and to me. And what I hope and pray for all of us is that not only believe in, in the inspiration of the Word of God, but the sufficiency of the Word of God, that it is true for you and for me today in what God declares to us. It was at the end of the book of Genesis, you know the story, that here was this dream that Pharaoh had. And Pharaoh calls for his wise men to interpret the dream, but they could not interpret the dream. And all of a sudden, one of them says, hey, there's a Hebrew man, Joseph, that's down in the dungeons. He can interpret the dream for you, Pharaoh. And so they cleaned him up, Joseph. They brought him before Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I heard that you can interpret dreams. And Joseph said, it's not me, but there's a God who's the true God, the creator of heaven and earth, he will give the interpretation. And Joseph interpreted that dream for Pharaoh. His wise men couldn't do that. And then Pharaoh said, okay, you're full of, of wisdom, a wisdom that I don't have with these wise men. So Joseph, you're going to be the prime minister. 
And we know that story, and it's such an important story for you and for me because there are people around us that are confused and they're wondering, what is the answer to this? And they're looking to the world in so many different directions and so many voices that are out there and the world trying to pull you know, them into this is the latest trend, this is the latest, you know, answer, this is the latest, um, you know, thing that we believe, and it changes constantly. And people are wondering, really, what is truth? And there are the wise men of the world that are there saying, well, I don't know what you do, or, you know, trying to find answers for people, when you and I, we have the true answer, to be able to minister to people the word of God and that you don't know when you're going to be called to do that for that family member or that coworker, or that neighbor. And when they need to hear truth, you have truth to give to them. And the wisdom of God, even as we went through Proverbs, remember that there's a difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And I hope that we give people godly wisdom, the undefiled word of God to them because it is truth and that's what's going to help them. Even as Daniel was used in that way, as Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he calls for his wise men and he says, tell me the dream and the interpretation. They couldn't do it. And so Daniel who sought the Lord was able to come and minister to Nebuchadnezzar in that way. And you're going to be able to minister to others as we continue together and as you continue to go forward in knowing the word of God and having it in your heart and then being able to give it to others when they are troubled and when they're confused and when they're looking for truth. But so oftentimes what is happening in the church is the church is bringing in a lot of world philosophy and, and the psychologizing of the faith and all of this that has taken place. Listen, there is power in the word of God. And I am so convinced of that. The word of God is alive and powerful and you and I have opportunity to give it to others that's going to be a blessing and a benefit to them and to pray for them and to care for them. Don't back off of that. But we speak the truth in love and with gentleness and with meekness. And as you do, let the word of God do work and touch in their hearts because as Hebrews chapter 4 says, the word of God is alive and is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So here, as we know that Proverbs chapter 9 tells us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We need the whole counsel of God's word to be men and women of the word of God. And then in verse 16, in that day, Egypt will be like women, will be afraid and fear because of the waving of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he waves over it. And the land of Judah will be terror to Egypt. Everyone who makes mention of it will be afraid in himself because of the counsel of the Lord of hosts, which he has determined uh, against it. And so for centuries, Israel and Judah would be, um, you know, in the shadows of the Egyptians. And the Lord prophesies that one day Judah would be more mightier than Egypt. And I believe that we've seen that recently in our time. Israel becomes a nation in 1948. In 1967, as summer begins, all of a sudden the Egyptians are having mass, you know, um, 
you know, gatherings and, and um, beginning to hurl threats against Israel. Same time, not only in Cairo, but in Damascus with the Syrians in Amman in Jordan. And Israel knew that little nation, a brand new nation that was less than 20 years old, was going to be eventually attacked by the Egyptians and by the Jordanians and also by the Syrians to the north in Lebanon. And as they had been, you know, saying in the streets uh, in those mass demonstrations against Israel, we're going to push Israel into the sea. And what happened at that time is Israel knew that they could not wait for Egypt and Syria and Jordan to attack them. So early one morning in June, that Israel got their planes off the ground and with a, a sneak attack against Egypt and against Syria as well, they flew low to the ground. They flew over the Mediterranean Sea and they attacked the Egyptian air bases, destroyed pretty much the Egyptian air force. And then uh, at that time, they had air superiority and they would defeat Egypt and they would defeat Syria and they would defeat Jordan. They would actually, Jordan uh, is over that area that is called the West Bank in East Jerusalem. And if you go to Israel with us, we show you that green line. That was the border. On the east side of that was Jordan. The west side was Israel. And where we stayed at the hotel last time, we were one block on the east side of that green line. We would have been in Jordan if it was 1967 or before that. So Israel, with their military might, defeated Egypt also in the Yom Kippur War, the Yom Kippur War of 1973, that Egypt and then Syria uh, attacked Israel on their holiest day, and they broke through the lines. And it's very interesting to see how God intervened at that time. And as it looked like, as the Egyptians broke through the lines that were coming up uh, towards Israel, as Syria, in a massive tank invasion, came down that valley, the Valley of Tears, and, and into the Golan Heights and down to the Sea of Galilee, that it looked like that Israel was going to go under. The prime minister of Israel called President Nixon up and said, can you help us? We're out of supplies. Israel at that time had pulled out what was called the Samson option option that they got their nuclear arsenal ready to go because you know the story of Samson that Samson pushed on those pillars and took everybody out and it was the prime minister in the last ditch effort called President Nixon up and this is all recorded in history and said will you help us because if not we're going to have to go to drastic measures, and we're about ready to go under. President Nixon, it is recorded and documented, that when he was a boy, his mother told him that if you ever have a chance to help the Jews, then help them. He ordered a massive airlift of military supplies to Israel, and those military supplies would not stop and refuel the planes in Western Europe. Western Europe closed their air bases to, to the American planes, saying, we don't want anything to do with helping Israel. You know where those planes went to refuel? They went through Iran. 
and Iran actually helped Israel at that time, and they were able to bring in the supplies, and then Israel was able to break through the lines, and they were on their way in the Valley of Tears, on their way to Damascus, and they had crossed actually the Nile River and was on their way to Cairo, and the Egyptian or the Israeli Defense Forces said, this is it, we're tired of war, and we're gonna, to, we're gonna take over Cairo, we're gonna take over Damascus, and what happened at that time is the Russians got involved. They called President Nixon, said, you either put an end to it or we're going to put an end to it. In NORAD, I remember going into NORAD where they keep track of all, you know, the launch of missiles and all that. They've kind of done away with NORAD in Cheyenne Mountain, and it's more on the air base there in Colorado Springs, deep underground. But I remember taking a tour with Pastor Chuck in the command center there in NORAD where they watch all that. And they had a table there that was covered and, um, and there was one of the generals that said that's the table that the generals gather around when there's a threat of nuclear war. And there was two times at that time that it was uncovered. One was the Cuban Missile Crisis and the other one was the Yom Kippur War. And people don't realize how close we were to nuclear, you know, exchange with Israel uh, against Egypt or Syria or the Russians getting involved. Um, and then Henry Kissinger, of course, came in and they were able to broker a ceasefire at that time. But that's the tensions that was going on in the Middle East in Israel. You know, Amos tells us that when they go back into the land that they're not going to be plucked out again. And in our prophecy update of New Year's Eve and then the first week of January, of course, we went over Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 that there's yet that still future war where these nations that surround Israel, led by Russia and Iran and Turkey, are going to make a massive invasion into the land of Israel. And God's going to defeat those nations and fight on behalf of Israel. So it's interesting that, that this prophecy being fulfilled in our lifetime, yet to be fulfilled in future wars, um, it, it is interesting to see. And then in verse 18, as we finish quickly, in that day, five cities in the land of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan. I swear by the Lord of hosts, one will be called the city of destruction. And in that day, there will be an altar in the Lord in the midst of the land in Egypt and the pillar of the Lord in its borders. And it will be for a sign and for a witness that the Lord hosts the land of Egypt and they will cry to the Lord because of the oppressors. And he will send them a savior, speaking of Jesus, a mighty one, and he will deliver them. And then the Lord will be known to Egypt and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and will make a sacrifice and offering. Yes, they will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. And it goes on, speaking of this, this yet future prophecy in verse 22, and the Lord will strike Egypt, and he will strike and heal it, and they will return to the Lord and will be entreated by them and heal them. And in that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrians will come into Egypt, and the Egyptians into Assyria, and the Egyptians will serve with the Assyrians. And in that day, Israel will be one of Three with Egypt and Assyria and a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the 
work of my hands in Israel, my inheritance. Isn't that amazing? What the Lord is saying, what's going to happen, there's a good ending for Egypt and Assyria, yet in the future when the Lord comes back, that they're going to be as one, that Egypt and Israel and the Assyrians and a highway that connects them, and they're going to be worshiping the Lord. And uh, it's really incredible uh, prophecy that's given concerning what's going to happen with Egypt and the Assyrians. Good news. And any time any of us turn to the Lord and give our hearts to him, praise God, right? Amen. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these, these uh, verses that we go over. And, and um, Lord, they, they, they do. It's amazing how there's near fulfillment and future fulfillment. And some of this we have seen even in our own lifetime. But, Father, the, the implication, the application for us is this to trust in you for everything. And Lord, I just thank you that we can be here tonight because we can look to the wisdom of the world. And that's what Egypt pictures. We know the world. And we've been brought out of Egypt. And Lord, you desire for us to experience that abundant life. Not to have a life out there in the wilderness like the children of Israel because of unbelief because of disobedience, but believing you and trusting in you and looking to you, that as we do, that your eyes go to and fro across the whole earth to show yourself strong in our behalf. So Lord, help us not to be pulled into the world's wisdom, not to be pulled into that which is contrary to what your word declares for you and for me in how we are to live and how we are to respond and to not only trust in you, but in rest in what you're doing in our lives. And so, Lord, there may be those that are here tonight that are really wrestling with things and being told to go the way of the world or what the culture is telling you to do or the latest trend. But may we take the word of God and hide it in our hearts. And, Lord, look to you for everything and to believe your word for us. And to also be a blessing to others as we see that people that are around us and linked to us in our lives get confused and they wonder and they think, is there any truth? Is there any hope? And we have that message of truth and hope to give to them. So Lord, may we be committed to that and be sensitive to your leading and speaking the truth in love. Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for everyone being here. I pray that you best bless the ladies' conference on Saturday. That the ladies would be blessed in every way to be established in the faith, to know that we are complete in you. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless everyone as we go our way. We look forward to coming back not only on Saturday, but on Sunday, continuing to study your word, be encouraged to learn that Jesus is superior. He's better. So, Lord, um, we just ask that you take everyone home safely. Bless our day tomorrow. Help us be salt and light. Guide us and direct us. Strengthen us. Lord, bring wisdom to us. Show yourself strong on our behalf in every way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>